would that be? Um, it's a, a verse taken from uh, the Psalms there as we, we put it to song. I thought as we come back together, it's also an appropriate idea, right? Uh, that uh, the psalmist longs to be in God's presence. And uh, this is a taste of God's presence. You know, now we see through a mask dimly, but one day we will see face to face. I think that's how the latest translations read. <coughs> All right. Um, do you remember the story of Moses? Okay. Uh, Moses ends up in a basket on the Nile River. So who puts, who puts him there? <coughs> so his sister, his mother, right? Yep. Uh, these masks don't work well for the backwards and forwards, apparently, the interactive. Um, so his sister, his mother put him there because his life was in danger. Uh, Pharaoh had um, issued a decree that male children, male Hebrew children, were to be killed. Uh, it was a means of population control by the Egyptians against the, the Hebrews. Who finds Moses in the basket on the Nile River? One of Pharaoh's daughters, right? A, a princess from the, the royal household. And through God's providence, even though she takes this infant back to the palace, uh, Mo, uh, Moses' mother is able to continue to see him, to act as a, a nurse as a, for him. And we don't know how many years that continued. But there was some connection there between Moses and his mother, even while he lived within the Egyptian palace. And so Moses was aware of his true identity, that he wasn't born an Egyptian, that his true identity lay with the slave people in the Hebrew uh, areas, part of the country. But he lived in the palace, and he was educated in the ways of Egypt, one of the great civilizations of the time. He was learning at a level that would have been higher than 99% of the population on the planet at that point in time in terms of his education and understanding of astrology or whatever science they had of construction, mathematics, uh, everything that made Egypt a great nation, he was being educated in that along with his other Egyptian um, step brothers and sisters. But of course that doesn't last. Moses sees injustice. He sees an Egyptian a slave master beating a Hebrew slave. And he intervenes and in the process kills the Egyptian. Fearing for his life, he flees out to the wilderness to the country of Midian is where he ends up. It's more a region than a country as such. Um, it, and, and the main thing is that it's desert. Nobody, hardly anybody, lives there. Uh, but again, through providence, uh, God not only connects Moses with another family, he um, arranges for Moses to find a wife and to be marry into a prestigious family within Midianite society. 
his father-in-law Jethro is described as the priest of Midian. Um, so whether that just means he was one of the priests or he was a high priest or exactly what that means, uh, we're, we're not sure. Um, we have those blanks. But, but Moses is, doesn't just marry another shepherd. He marries into a family of good repute. And so Moses was born a Jew. He is raised as an Egyptian. And we come to a point in life where he has been living as a Midianite. About 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Midian, and then you have another 40 years leading Israel in round numbers. I mean, that sounds like the scenario we've been talking about over the last few weeks with this idea of adrift, right? Somebody that's um, struggling to find their identity, find something to hang on to. Who am I really? Um, but it's not. It's a, the beginning of a new series um, called I Am. We're going to be looking over the next few weeks at I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. But to begin that process, we're, we're going back to the first occurrence of I am, and that is here with Moses. On the side of a mountain, Mount Sinai, uh, Moses is looking for pasture for his sheep. He's living as a, as a shepherd. And he has his sheep with him, and, and they wander pretty far and wide. There are no you know, big green pastures. They sort of just wander out in the countryside, and the sheep go wherever they think they can find something to eat. And so as they're wandering, Moses sees a strange sight. He sees this, this bush uh, that is burning. He sees the flame. I don't know if there was smoke or not. Probably he sees smoke and flame but the leaves of the bush are not turning black the the fruit if there was fruit on the bush is not being destroyed the the sticks and the branches are not turning to charcoal the bush is intact but the flames are still burning so naturally moses approaches the bush and, and as he gets close to the bush, all of a sudden the bush isn't the strangest thing. Because now he hears a voice when there's no one to see. A voice out of nowhere. And even on top of that, it's not just a voice. The first words this voice says are his name, Moses. Moses. All right, I know what's going on, but you've got my attention. So we read the, the story earlier. I'm not going to, to go through and read that whole passage. appreciate Daryl doing that for us. But notice the way that God introduces himself. And uh, God comes to, you know, gets his attention in the burning bush. But then he says, Moses, don't come any closer. In verse 6 of chapter 3 of Exodus, then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
Now, I want you to think about it. If you were walking down the street and you met God, wouldn't you expect him just to say, Hi, I'm God? You go, Nice to meet you. Or you'd fall on your face and just be thankful you were alive. You know, but you wouldn't need a whole lot of explanation, right? A simple, Hi, I'm God would probably suffice. I love the way God reveals himself to Moses here. He says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You see, this isn't the Midianite God. Moses lived in a household where his father-in-law was a priest. And I don't know what that involved. I don't know what the God was like, That how closely related to the Israelite God it was, or I don't know anything. But God says, no, I'm not the God of Jethro. He says, I'm not the God of Egypt, of their many gods. I'm none of those. Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. And I wonder how much, how familiar those names were to Moses. Had his mother, as she nursed him in those years, you know, sort of tried to instill in him the stories of, of his heritage, uh, tried to instill an identity in him. In those moments that she got, that she, she explained to this child, remember your God, remember the promises, remember your people. And, and she just wanted to give this infant, this three-year-old, this whatever-year-old Moses was, give him this information that would be an anchor, that would be something for him to return to and to hang on to. And so God introduces himself in a way that Moses could make that connection. I'm the God of those slave people back in Egypt. And I think Moses probably didn't have much or any of a relationship with God. It would be unusual to think that he had somehow picked up worship of his ancestral God in the palace and in the years in Midian and had clung to that while everything was going on around him. And so God introduces himself. And so while Moses is catching his breath and considering this um, reference to his distant past, names that he hadn't heard in years and years, God says, I've got a job for you, Moses. All right, you know who I am now. I want you to go to Pharaoh and bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Go in front of the most powerful man on the planet, and take away a large portion of his workforce. Off you go. What are you waiting for? I counted to ten, you're still here. It's pretty intimidating, right? Where do you begin, if that's you? Moses, as you know, begins asking questions. Finding reasons he can't do it. I think he's probably a lot like some of us. 
And so I'm not exactly sure why he asked this question. Perhaps he expects that the Israelites, when he gets there, are going to test him. Or maybe they've been in captivity so long that they've forgotten the name of God. But, but Moses says, what will I say when they ask me, what is his name? Will there be this sort of level of distrust between the two that, that he goes back and says, hey, you're God. Hey, God. I was out in the desert and God gave me this mission and said, I'm to lead you guys out of Egypt. And they're like, well, why should we trust you? Do you, who look more Midian than Jewish, do you even know the name of our God? And so Moses makes sure that he gets that piece of information before he goes back. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now that's a strange name. It's not the strangest name in the Old Testament, but it's still a strange name. It sounds unfinished. It sounds like the start of a name. I am eternal. I am huge. I am the most powerful being in the world. I'm kind, gracious, loving. It just sounds unfinished. I am. Just to give you a, a little bit of a background to this name, it's the um, Hebrew letters Y-H-W-H. And uh, it, it's an, a word that's problematic in trying to translate or trying to understand. Up till this point, the main name that God had gone by was L. That was just a generic name for God, like a small g God. And there are other names uh, that we can go back into Genesis and look at. But here in Exodus, um, there's a transition away from El. We still see El show up a whole lot. If you think of like the name of the town, Beth El, means house of God. Okay? So that El shows up a lot as we continue to read through Scripture. It's just sort of a generic name for, for God. And it's a very ancient word, not just in... Israel, but if you go back through other cultures, other ancient languages, that name El shows up as, as sort of a generic name across cultures. But now there's a transition. God is no longer going to be this generic God, small g, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now God says, I'm giving you a name to call me. And the reason that it becomes difficult to understand this YHWH name is because the, the Jews, out of, I guess, respect for the, the commandment not to take the Lord's name in vain, stopped saying it. Uh, they, and, and so the pronunciation of it was lost. And so that's why sometime, I don't know, in the first thousand years after, after Jesus, um, 
scholars or church leaders decided Jehovah was the way to say it. And then, since then, we've decided through more study that Yahweh is a, a better pronunciation of it. But we still don't say Yahweh very much. You still won't find that in the Bible very much. And yet it's there. It's all over the place, right in front of us, and we don't see it. If you pay attention when you're reading Scripture, you'll see that oftentimes the, the word Lord is all capitals. And when it's all capitals, it means that the, the Hebrew word that's been translated is this name, Yahweh, or Y-H-W-H. And they've, they've sort of followed this Jewish tradition of not saying the name, and they've replaced those four letters with Lord. But they put it in all capitals uh, to sort of try and make it stand out. So God's name occurs over 5,000 times in the Old Testament uh, as you just read through it. But you've never almost never actually see it uh, because it's kind of hidden behind that translation device there. So God says, don't just refer to me as God, a generic little g God. Now you're to know my name. I am Yahweh. Now the meaning of that name is I am. Just like my name, Peter, has a, a meaning related to a rock, or, you know, we could go around and see what everybody's uh, names have different meanings. But, but the word, those letters come from the word, but the, the verb to be. Okay. I am. And so God simply says, This is who I am. I am who I am, or I am that I am, I will be what I will be. They're all sort of got this same idea in them. And I think it communicates a couple of things. As strange as it is, we can still, I think, draw a couple of really important points from this. The first is that God is present. God is present in that moment, in that place. God doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. He says, I am the God of your ancestors. Think about how relevant this was for Moses, this idea of presence. Moses, as I said, is going into the royal court of the most powerful man on the planet. He's going to be rejected ten times. I imagine at points he fears for his life. We know that he's afraid to speak, so he enlists his brother to do the talking for him. Moses wasn't, at this point in his life, a particularly courageous guy. And God says to him, Remember who I am. Remember my name means I am. And so I think we expect God's name to have that powerful, have that big, kind. Like we expect it to have an 
action to it. We expect it to, to do something. That, that God is defined by, by what He's done. God, I am the Creator. I am the sustainer of life. I am. We expect there to be a blank that is filled in because we, we're looking for a God of action. And instead, Moses gets a God of presence. And that becomes our ground zero for knowing God. That God is a God simply of presence. Be still, we're told, and know that I'm God. Don't get busy. Don't get caught up in activities. Like, be still. Because God is I am. And so God is not stuck at a point in the past with our ancestors. God is not in the future waiting for us to reach Him. God is wherever we are in life. God is. Whenever we need Him, God is. And we don't have to worry about that. The second thing is, when God says, I am who I am. Um, in the last few years, we've developed this irritating phrase, it is what it is. Right? Going back before that, was that song, K, Sarah, Sarah? Right? What will be, will be. Um, that's kind of what God said. I will be what I will be. I am who I am. You can't change it. I can't change it. Now, it's interesting because as humans, the whole New Testament there is that we're going to be changed. Where God takes us from this place of needing rescue to being transformed into the image of God to spending eternity with God. Like, change is just what's expected in life. Whether we're following God or not, we, we, we never expect to be the same person over any significant period of time. But God says, I am who I am. You meet me today... And you'll meet the same person in a hundred years. And another hundred years, because I am who I am. God doesn't change. Now this is in contrast to the many pagan gods that Moses would have known. Pagan gods are capricious. Pagan gods change their mind. Pagan gods may or may not pay attention to their people. And so as a worshipper, you had to hope that you caught them at the right time of day. You had to hope that they weren't at a dinner party, entertaining other gods, off, you know, ca um, carousing with the other gods through the universe, okay, causing trouble. You had to hope that what you brought to them, the way you worshipped them on this particular day, was pleasing to them, because you couldn't know for sure. But God says, I am who I am. God is a God, Yahweh is a God of integrity. He doesn't change. And as we get to know His character, we get to know Him. God is dependable and reliable. I imagine if you're going to lead a large group of people out from oppressive captivity, then knowing that God isn't going to say, Oh, this is harder than I thought. I'm out of here. Good luck, Moses. Like, that's important to know on the front end that God is going to stay on that mission 
longer than you are. Um, and, and that he can be relied on. So we have these two, I think, really important values just there in that name. God is present and God doesn't change. And, and I think they're lessons that are applicable for us. They're meanings that are applicable for us today also. But the beauty of these two names, is that, or this name, is that it's only ground zero. Right? This is where we first get to know God. But from that point on, God does act. Right? God does get busy. And so God develops a track record. God does add a blank space after his name. And through the years and through the generations, those blank spaces get filled in. In our growth groups this week, we're going to look at a list of different names or descriptions that are attributed to God over the the centuries or throughout the Old Testament. And we'll see how they reflect different aspects of God's character. And so God can introduce himself by saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because... He was there. He was present with them. But I'm the same person. I was faithful to them. I'll be faithful to you. I protected them. I'll protect you. I kept my promises. I'll keep my promises. So we see the same idea in Exodus chapter 20. God is laying out the Ten Commandments. And he begins the Ten Commandments by reminding the people who he is. I am the Lord your God. You'll see if you were to turn there that the Lord is all capitalized. So it reads, I, Yahweh, God. I am God. Then it continues. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt? You see, God has begun this, Yahweh has begun this process of filling in that blank, of saying, I have a history with you, I have a past, I have a track record. This is who I am. I'm present, I'm not changing, and I brought you out of Egypt. And as we continue to, to work through Scripture, as we continue to live our lives, we each fill in those blanks in our own ways. That God is something. God has done something. God has uh, revealed himself in some way that helps us to understand him. But he is the same person then and now. That was me. I did that. I'm the same person. I always will be the God who did that. So back of the burning bush, God gives Moses a mission. Promises to be with him, promises not to change his mind, says this is in my DNA. It's the very basis of who I am. God will stay with him. When he goes back to his own people, the Israelites, and they're not sure if they can trust Moses, God was with him. When Pharaoh rejects Moses to his face, God was with him. And I expect that some of us need to be reminded of that today. 
Some of us need to be reminded that our God is not just up there in the sky as one of the gods or one of the spirits or someone on the other side or someone that is distant, removed from us as a spectator to the spectacle sport that takes place down on earth. Some of us need to be reminded that God is present. God just is here with us. God heard the cries of the Egyptians. God hears us, cares about us, loves us. There are some people here that that find ourselves in the middle of a mess. You need to know that God is with you. Well, God was like that. Maybe there's some that say God was like that 2,000 years ago. God was like that 3,000 years ago. God was like that somewhere in the past, but God isn't like that today or else I wouldn't be where I am. And God says, my name, my name is just, I am who I am. You can take that to the bank, but who I was, who I have been, is who I am. In the book of Hebrews, the writer there thought it was important to remind his people, even as as he has spent a great deal of time comparing uh, life under the old covenant to life in the new covenant. He gets to the end in chapter 13 and he reminds the readers of God's faithfulness unchanging nature he says keep your lives free from the love of money be content with what you have he's addressing this in very brief it's a series of dot points going down through here things i want to squeeze into the end of this letter before i you know finish but the connection here is don't look at these other places to to find security to find things in life. Don't look to money for things uh, to take the place of God's role in your life. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So I say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I wonder if that was like what Moses was whistling as he walked away the burning bush the Lord is my helper I will not be afraid what can mortals like Pharaoh do to me the writer continues remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith for instance Jesus Christ the ultimate leader is the same yesterday today When we understand that name of God as I am, we understand that saying this about Jesus is a statement declaring Jesus equal to God. Because God is the only unchanging person in the room. And yet Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we'll explore more about Jesus and his role in the coming weeks. But this reassurance that the writer of Hebrews gives to his audience is still needed by us today to remember who God was and to understand how that defines who God is. And as I think about that burning bush, 
can't help but draw comparisons to another mountain, uh, a location in Galilee over a thousand years later. And here Jesus, after his resurrection, gives his closest followers a mission. Go to Pharaoh and to Pharaoh's subjects. Go to the whole world and make disciples. And when he gives them this commission, he also gives them a promise that sounds an awful lot like God's I am. And surely, he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, whether it be Moses at the bush that God says, go and do my work and I'll be with you, I'll be present and I won't be changing, or whether it be Jesus speaking to his disciples, including us, saying, go and do my mission, take my good news into the world and I'll be with you always and I won't be changing because I'm the same yesterday, today and forever. And so this name of God, I think, is associated with mission. There's a sense that, that God's presence is with us wherever we go. It doesn't mean I am at this location. One of the interesting things about the uh, burning bush is that we don't know where it is. Right? God told Moses, he said, take your feet off this is holy ground. But what made it holy was not what happened there. It wasn't about the place or the location or the magnetic fields that you know, came from the corners of the earth and somehow opened a portal to heaven. Like that location didn't mean anything. What made it holy was the presence of God in that place. And what makes things holy for us is where God is in our world as we go and as we travel through it. As we, as God's holy people, take God with us, the ground we step on becomes holy. And what's different about God is that God's holiness is one that travels through time, that isn't limited to space. It's a unique way of viewing holiness compared to, to so many other um, religions around the world. Now, certainly the temple was, was set apart as a holy place, as God's throne, as the connection between God, heaven, and earth. But outside of the temple, it wasn't the place. It was the people. It was the time. And so when God says, I am present, he didn't mean I'm present in this place, although he was. But come back tomorrow or send someone else, and I may or may not be here. God is present with us through time. And he doesn't change. And so while God's name is certainly intended for comfort to someone facing stress like Moses, it's a name that evolves as God continues to add to his track record. That, that blank line after the I am gets longer and longer and longer as it just fills up. I am the creator. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the God who... Fill in that blank for yourself. There's plenty of room. That line doesn't have a period at the end of it. Not yet. We're still learning and coming to understand God. And so as God keeps adding to his track record, his name motivates us to break out of our comfort zones, to live on mission for God, to, to 
approach that person, to do that thing, to invite, to sit down and have that conversation because God says, that's tough, that's difficult, that's intimidating. But I am who I am. Take a breath. Just, I'll be present. I'll be there with you. There's going to be busyness. There's going to be action. But let's start. Let's go back to basics. And remember that our God is Yahweh. Our God is I Am. And so as we go through life, and we learn to fill in this blank, I Am, the God of presence, is just the starting point. And I encourage you this week to think, where do I see God at work in my life? If I sit down next Saturday night, what can I say? I am what? God is what? Based on the way that I've experienced him throughout the week. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a moment. It certainly gives us a focal point to remind ourselves who God is.